quickly go with me to, to um, let's see where we go here. Acts chapter 20. Let's go to Acts chapter 20 quickly, please. So, first session, we just talked a little of some of the things God's remind us to do, be involved in. To, clearly went very different to how I, I thought it would, which always happens, I'm sure for you too. But effectiveness is what I believe is on the heart of God for us, always has been. And I think just coming back to some of that in the season we've been in and going forward. And I want to just talk about effective leadership. And, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, God, we want to be effective. But some things to be reminded of to give our attention to, I think, in this season. And so obviously there's this God factor that is incredibly necessary without prayer and the Word, which we've talked about. I think there's some things that God's really highlighted. And prayer and the Word is essential. But also, can I just remind you that the Holy Spirit is more essential than ever before. And... I tell you what, that whole Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, which everyone used to quote, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. It's amazing that not by might is speaking about the might of the people. It's not about how many people you have. Are you listening? Somehow we think the amount of people will give us the strength we need. Not by might. Jesus, God was saying it's not by the might of the people, nor by power. And that power is speaking of the position of King Cyrus. It's not the position the king carries. It's not by your position nor by your people, but by my spirit. But by my spirit, says the Lord. And when I think of effective ministry and the fruit of effective ministry, you realize very quickly effective ministry cannot happen without the Holy Spirit who makes us effective. I know that we're stating obvious things here, but I think when I think of effective ministry, just some, some things that come to, to mind, revelation. How essential is it for us to have revelation in a time and a season like this? And, and we realize that revelation cannot come without the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brings it. We can shout, scream, preach, say it's the Holy Spirit who brings revelation. There's too much borrowed truth in the church. We keep saying that. We need the rhema word and the logos, the revealed word of God, the rhema, the spoken word of God. The rhema word is the Holy Spirit quickening the logos and transferring it into our hearts. Friends, it's the Holy Spirit who does that. So we need Him when it comes to ministering, taking His truth and making it ours. That's the Holy Spirit's role. I think of authenticity. It's probably a word thrown around a lot now. And certainly with effective ministry, we need authenticity. The fake's been shown and now we need authentic. And, and I, I've said this many times. I feel like the devil's not opposing the church. He's joined the church. And what I mean by that is he almost does more by imitation than opposition. And if we don't know the difference, that's kind of where we get in trouble. But it's like the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us authentic and reveals authenticity. I also want to say clarity. We need clarity like never before. We need the clarity of God, the clearness of, under, of knowing what we've been called to. That's fruit of effective ministry. What's the Holy Spirit? There's no one who brings clearer direction and understanding than the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reveals and shows. What about liberty? A word we throw around, freedom and liberty. What's the Holy Spirit? Is the one who brings freedom. And liberty. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. We can shout, scream, pray, but it's the Spirit who brings us into that place of freedom. What about activation? 
I mean, it's a great word. It's been thrown around. God is activating things. And I know people get freaked out, but there is that activation. If I could just use this illustration. We were in uh, uh, Chicago a couple of weeks ago doing our having our equip there. And Stephen Deb's son, Caden. Uh, How old is Caden? Fifteen. During the meeting, we were having worship and that, and I mean, it's, listen, you, 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 yeah. okay, he came up to me and he said, hey, I've got this thing, I feel like we need to sing in, uh, speak in tongues or sing in tongues and, uh, about Jesus. And whenever you say it's about Jesus, you've got my heart, you can say whatever you want. And so I was like, okay, so what do you mean, like, if you've got interpretation? <laughs> like, I, you know, this is a meeting and all the new guys looking in, and he said, no, I don't know. I was like, okay, well, let's just wait, and then. And I went to him, I said, Caden, I'd like you to share that. He goes, I'm not sure I should. No, no, I was like, go for it. Anyway, he gets up and he, he, it was like God. And he stood up and he just said, hey, I just feel like we need to sing in tongues and speak in tongues. And so we all began to sing and speak in tongues, which was really awesome. And kind of the meeting moved into a great place. And that's how God operates. But, but I again got up after that. And I, I, honestly, I just stated, because I realized that people there, this probably freaked them out. We've got to get better at telling people, backing what's happening from Scripture. Otherwise, they're not going to walk in it. They're going to run away from it. we got it. Even when they, yeah, okay, I'm getting, it's another preach. But, but just, I got up and I just said, you know, guys, there's a difference between speaking in tongues and we all have the gift of, I mean, we, we all get to speak in tongues. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. And when you have the gift of tongues, then you need an interpretation. But we weren't having the gift. It was just us speaking in tongues. I just kind of gave a bit of that, and I said, every believer should and can speak in tongues. And anyway, we carried on and had meetings. Afterwards, this lady that's based in your local church, in Stephen Deb's church, Anthem Church, from South Korea, my understanding, I mean, from what I've heard, she's been through some pretty radical stuff. She came and she asked, could I, she heard me say, hey, I, I can speak in tongues. She said, I've always believed there's a gift of tongues, but I didn't realize I could speak in tongues. Would you pray for me? And I was like, yeah. So we got Debs and I prayed, and she got filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, wailing. And I mean, it's just this incredible, and I'm saying wailing because you told me she's had some pretty interesting seat of legalism and religion. And, and why I'm highlighting that is because God activated, the Holy Spirit activated that whole thing. A 15-year-old kid came and said, I want to say this. If we did that, then I would never have even brought tongues into the meeting. It wouldn't even have been something he would have said where she would have missed that moment of being full. That's the Holy Spirit activating. You can't script this. Can't make it up. If you can script it and make it up, it's not the Holy Spirit. But He activates stuff, and we need to respond and not, not miss the moments that He wants to bring, to bring a lady into this place of freedom that maybe she would have missed, or we definitely wouldn't have talked about tongues. But God wanted to demonstrate something and then respond. So just the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing. And we've got to trust Him and let Him be. Multiplication is, is, is I believe, another fruit of effective ministry. And the Holy Spirit's the multiplier. At the end of the day, He's the one who helps in the multiplication. What about collaboration? A word we're all hearing about today. Everyone wants to collaborate. There's no greater collaborator than the Holy Spirit. Administration, and I'm not talking about admin in the office. I'm talking about administering things in this church and where we go. It's the Holy Spirit. Don't try with this without Him. Let's keep in step with Him. And Transformation. All of these are the work of the Holy Spirit. They cannot really happen, truly happen without Him. So I think to see the power of God in our church and spiritual fruit for our efforts, we need to continually return to a dependence and yieldness to the Holy Spirit. 
We've said this, most preach a Trinitarian God, but live a binatarian God. We all believe in the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but many are about God the Father, God the Son, and no room for the Holy Spirit. The season's requiring, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's in there. It's in Scripture. All right. Let's go to quick, Acts chapter 20, effective leadership. It says this, Paul writing, and he says, from Mal- oh, Paul's not writing, Paul's, uh, uh, Luke's writing, Paul's here. So from Miletus, verse 17, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia, declared and demonstrated. So essential for effective ministry that we actually live what we preach. I know we know this, but I'm not sure we're doing this. To be honest, I, I watch pastors and elders tell people to do stuff they're not willing to do themselves. Your message needs to be lived out and declared if you're going to have effective ministry. He said, I serve, verse 19, I serve the Lord with great humility. I love that. I don't serve you. I don't serve a region or a people. I serve the Lord with great humility, meaning great humility. Not tagged on humility, great humility. If anything's happened in the season, we have come to a place of we are nothing, he is everything. That's not weakness, that's humility. And we need that in the pulpit again. We need it in the church in America again. Not this arrogance, yes, confident, but humble. It's attractive to God and it's attractive to people. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Leonard Ravenhill, he said this, there's no brokenness in the pulpit, there'll be no brokenness in the pew. Verse 20, he says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Isn't that amazing? Just think about us preachers for a minute. How much do we preach that's helpful to us? If I say this, they'll respond to this, which will help me. Effective ministry. Preach anything that would be helpful to you. But have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi said, Preach the word of God, uh, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And I guess what, what he's saying is true, but it nullifies the gospel. We are called to declare the word of God, I mean the gospel, not just live it. Paul said, I've declared to Jews and to the Greeks. It's kind of like saying, feed, take care of the poor, feed the poor, and if necessary, use food. just want to remind you also when it comes to this gospel, we don't make the gospel acceptable to man. The gospel makes us acceptable to God. That's why we've got to declare the gospel and preach the gospel. Not for them to want it, for us to be wanted by Him. He made us and He created this opportunity for us to be restored in right relationship with Him. Verse 22 says, And now compelled by the Spirit. Look at that. Spirit moved, Spirit filled, Spirit sent. Compelled by the Spirit, friends. We need more of that in this season. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. 
I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that imprisonment and hardship are facing me. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now, i just got to stop and please highlight this. Paul didn't say his life is worth nothing. Good luck reaching the world if you think you're worth nothing. Good luck telling them they're worth something if you think you're worth nothing. Good luck staying the course and the thing we talked about this morning of understanding your call. If you think you're worth nothing, you've got no chance of walking in the call of God. Jesus came to this earth for you. Don't say you're worth nothing. And if it was only you on this planet, he would have come just for you. So you are not worth nothing. You cost him his life. Paul didn't say I'm worth nothing, but he said I consider my life worth nothing to me. Everything to him, nothing to me. I've listened to so many preachers say, your life's worth nothing. No, it's worth everything. But Paul said, oh, my life's worth nothing to me. That's the way we're going to live in the plans and purpose of God. Be effective, say, my life's worth nothing to me. This is what he goes on to say. But if only I may finish the race. I've preached a lot on finishing the race. People have taken my notes and written a book, apparently, on how to finish it and finish in the race. But I've missed the other side of it and complete the task. You know, if you and I are only about finishing the race, we see the end result and we do all we can to get to the end. But if we're not completing the task, then we're not seeing what God's called us to do while we are on this, in this race heading to where we're called. Part of being effective is completing the task, not just finishing the race. And a lot of scriptures about running the race and keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus and finish the race and how long to finish. But Paul was able to say, I've completed the task and we've got to get better at completing some tasks. Especially in a season like this. So finish your race, but complete the task that God's given us. It's important, friends, to fulfill my destiny. Can I say completed obedience establishes a generational echo? We have to complete what God's given us to do for the next generation. A lot of what we're facing is the lack of finishing. Legacy is the outcome of focused finishing. I think the mess we find ourselves in, because I'm not blaming others, just we're so focused on finishing the race, they forgot there's a task to complete. I don't want to point fingers. I just want to finish the race and complete the task God has for me so the generations behind us can build on the echo of our lives and what we've given ourselves to. Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Gee, that's a radical statement. So I've not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. And then he says this, keep watch over yourselves. Now I think keeping watch over yourself is how you finish the race. But he also says, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's completing the task. Keeping watch over yourself is how you finish the race. It's essential. Can't help others do that for you. You do that. But completing the task is this thing of, being shepherds, overseers of who the Holy Spirit has called you to oversee. Are you with me? It's, over, it's looking after yourself and them. 
Don't do either. Do both. Don't do one. Do both. Don't emphasize one at the expense of the other. Keep running your race, but use the task God's given you of the people you've been entrusted to lead and be effective. And I think he says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He talks about, I know after this I leave, savage wolves will come from among you. And then he talks about all those things. And then he says, I'm not going to see you again. And they were more grieved there. They weren't going to see him again. Then that savage wolves will come from among you. I would be like, who is it? It's you, Hugh. I knew it was going to be. Or, like, I'd be trying to identify who the savage wolves are from within. But they understood this partnership and this relationship so much, they were more grieved knowing they're never going to see him again than the savage wolves amongst them. This thing we're part of is not just a play game. It's relational. We care. We love. We contend for one another. We have to, friends. We've got to get better at that in this nation and certainly in this region. And I, I'm not here to throw rocks. I'm here to say we've got a future together. We better work it out. It's not we chose it. He chose us to be together. We've got to grieve over the relationship and work hard at our relationship. Contend for the things we're called to do because we have a shared inheritance. Not a inheritance, a shared future together. Generations to come if Jesus doesn't come back soon. They're working together because of our working together too. It's amazing how God puts lonely in families. Didn't put friends together. I'm going to tell you, I, didn't, I chose my wife, but I didn't choose my brothers or my parents. I was born into that family, and I'm grateful for them, but it wouldn't be like I chose them. I was put in that family, and we are so different, my brothers and I. But God put us together not to be friends, to grow up. He puts you in a family with people not like you to help you mature and grow up. If you're looking for friends, we're going to be your friends, but we're going to irritate each other and friends leave each other when they irritate. Family can't. Can't do anything about it. I'm family. God put us together. Work it out. I don't want to. You're a family. Work it out. I didn't choose them. That's right. I chose them for you. So it's so essential to settle what God's put together. Let's work it out. Doesn't matter what you think. Who cares? Get over ourselves for the people behind us, the echo of generations to walk in. Yeah. I know it's easier said than done, but friends, I, I've come to you guys to say, please, let's work stuff out. Yeah. It's bigger than you. Yeah. It's bigger than me. Yeah. And, and I don't have anything against anyone. I'm just saying, for the sake of what we're called to, we're stronger together. Work it out. Please. God put us together. Who's going to separate them? Let no one separate what God's put together. Right? We don't owe. We're not cutting covenant. We're not. We just put together for the bigness of our calling. All right. That was for free. Let's move on. Okay. So I mean, Paul just explained some great things here when he calls his elders together. And and I want to. I need to move for time's sake. Okay. Leadership. Let me give you some. Hopefully, some practicals. Effective leadership. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm simply here saying, let's give our attention to this if we're going to be effective. Can I just say, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments of practical, effective ministry. Number one, and none of these are new, but think about it. I'm not asking, do you know this? Ask, are we living this? Number one, model what you preach. It's not just Paul everywhere. Jesus lived what he said. You want to see the effectiveness of Jesus? Because he did what he said. 
If you're not willing to follow your words, you shouldn't speak at all. And we are. I'm preaching to preachers here this morning. We're good at telling people what to do from the pulpit, but we don't live it out, and we wonder why there's no fruit. Somehow in God, we've got to live out, if you want effective, do what you say and say what you do. <laughs> we've got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And please forgive my challenge this morning. Don't amen this if you're not willing. It's not enough to amen. God's addressing us. We talk about being caught rather than taught. We can teach and be the greatest teachers, and we've got some radical great teachers in our together. It doesn't mean effectiveness. It's caught rather than taught. I can stand up here and say I've got co- oh, I better not go. Let's move on. So, I can tell you I've got some disease, but whatever disease I've got, if it's contagious, you're going to catch what I have, not what I say. It's brilliant. Isn't that amazing? Be it. Don't say it. Credibility is on the line. I've watched, and I'm not having a go. I'm just challenging you. None of you in this room, I mean that before God, that I know of. Where I've watched leaders tell people to do stuff they're not willing to do themselves. I've watched leaders go preach in other countries stuff they're not willing to tell their own people and won't even live in their own churches. I'm like, there's no credibility. I can't even listen to you. I want to be sick to my stomach because you're a fake. You're saying what the Word says, but you're not saying what you actually lived. I'm not throwing rocks. Let's fix it. You want to see effectiveness? Say what you mean and mean what you say. And if you tell someone you're going to do something, by the way, best you do it. Not legalism, effectiveness. You okay? It's practice that makes perfect, not preaching. Someone preaching and practice are twins that often get separated, someone said. The man who practices what he preaches cuts his sermon short. I should do that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Whatever, Chris. Whatever. <laughs> Just practice what you preach, brother. All right. Someone says this. When a man's life does not preach, his preaching cannot live. I've often said this. Have you ever thought about how embarrassing your life would be if you had to preach what you practice? <laughs> not practice what you preach. Get up and preach what you practice. Not, a, not, a, not an accusation, challenge. We are cultural carriers. We carry culture. Elders, I don't know what to tell you. It's not the visionary. It's all elders. You carry culture. In that church, you, you bring the culture by what you do, not by what you say. And so live it. Say it and do it and watch how effective ministry comes. And Paul said, I've lived and preached. I didn't just say it. I did it. I'm an example. You know that. And look at the effectiveness of his ministry. Quickly, secondly, mentor. I know it's a scary word, but I'm trying to make them all M's. Mentor and develop leaders who can succeed you. If you haven't got over yourself yet, you're about to. I don't know what else to say. There's no future for the church if you're not building for them to take from you. Working your way out of ministry. 
I've watched people hang on, and you can't do that. And this is my thing, and it's not your thing. It's his thing. And success in the kingdom is the less you are needed as leaders, the more effective you are as leaders. But somehow it's like, I'm the leader. I want, now I'm, not giving, I'm not saying give away what God's given you, but we better be mentoring and raising up people who can take from us rather than stay under us. And I, I, I know there are people that amen this who don't live this because I've seen them pull people down rather than release them. All leaders need to be working themselves out of a job by empowering others to do what they already do. We've got to bring people through. <laughs> and I've said this, people can represent you, but not everyone can reproduce. Look for those who can reproduce. Those are the guys you've got to invest in to bring through so we can multiply what God's called us to. Those you pick, I think, should fulfill the qualifications of Paul. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, reliable, faithful, not this incredible anointed people. I mean, it's faithful and reliable. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The things you've seen me do, teach, teach to those who are faithful. Fat, and that's a bad word, I know. Faithful, available, and teachable. Those are the people. F-A-T. Faithful, available teachers. It's very hard to invest in people who are not faithful. Very hard to invest in people who are never available. Most of us have people we want to give our time to who are not interested in giving you their time. Don't waste your time. Faithful, available, and teachable. The people we invest in are always trying to teach us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be learners, but we're there to help them, and they want to tell us everything we're doing wrong. I get that a lot, believe it or not. And I'm not trying to be that guy because I want to learn, but guys... Come to our equip, show up, visiting, and then they give me a whole rundown of the things we didn't do well and we should do. And I'm like, I love feedback, but you were there to learn, not tell us. I love that your heart, you want to tell us what to do, but what did you get out of this? Because you were there to be equipped, not have better coffee. I know. I mean, we can all tell each other what we can do better. What are you there to? I want people who are teachable. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. So are you. Faithful, available, teachable. Leaders who refuse to delegate will only produce followers. I don't know what to say. You want to want to, you only got followers? Because you don't delegate and give other people responsibility. It's all you doing everything. You'll never bring through leaders. You limit people when it's you. The highest and hardest calling for leaders is to develop leaders who develop other leaders of leaders. Most leaders never develop anything other than followers, and that's a failure. We've got to develop leaders for many generations to come. So why do we fail to bring people through? Because we're unfocused. Because of fear of failure. Like a risk. Remember risk? Can I just, I feel like the Lord's saying risk. Not with character, risk with people. Oh, but if they fail, like it makes me look bad. Last time I looked, not at you, his church, risk. If, if, if you would, be honest, not for two, would you choose you even now? I wouldn't, not me. Uh -uh. But it's like we've raised the goalposts. I'm just being honest, guys. It's like the further we walk with Him, the more we walk with Him, the more we want everyone to be where we start, where we at. They must start. Think about who risked with us. 
I do think we got so worried about the church in this season that we're starting to shrink and hold back. I'm just telling you, it's not a threat from God. God will release those people elsewhere where they'll get released if we don't find space to release them. Risk. Are you still a risk taker? Have you become a bit more conservative in this season? Fear of failure. We're inconsistent. I think that stops us bringing people through. Hot and cold. You're hot, then you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're up and then down. Sorry, I was just saying. That song came on when we got this rental car. It was that terrible song of Katy Perry, but it's sorry. I, stay consistent. How do you follow and how do you bring people through if you're inconsistent? Unavailable to give time. Guess what? They're not going to come, come through if you don't give time. You're afraid to hold people accountable, to confront and challenge. Be, be a confronter, but a, also a comforter, friends. I've watched guys who are really good at cutting people down. You're useless. You're horrible. You did this bad. When they do well, how about telling them? Yeah. I know God will tell them. No, you tell them. If you have the right to tell them how bad they do, best you tell them how good they do when they do good. We need that, friends. That's bringing people through. We fail to maturing ourselves. That's why we don't bring people through. If you're not maturing, you can't bring people through. Trying to make everyone like us. That's why we don't people bring them through. We want them to think like us, act like us, talk like us, preach like us. No one should be the same. Another reason is we delegate the wrong things to the wrong people. Just so you know. Just because they got potential doesn't mean you give them everything. Don't sink someone, but if they're coming through, give them an opportunity. Your life doesn't match your message. Coming up again, that's another reason we don't bring people through. What about dominating those who do things better than us? Here's the secret. There are many people, even in your church, even if you have 10 people, they can do most things better than you. Just that's, that's the elephant's now out the room. And God made it that way. It's not a question of calling. We talked about that this one. It's a question of can you open your hands and release these people to do a better job than you? There's this team I lead. Let me tell you, I want to tell you, I know this as a fact that the majority, 80% at least of this team that I lead are more gifted, more anointed, and have a more, more capacity in a sense than I do. But they don't have the role to lead this team. And I've settled that because I don't want this team. And those who did try to take it, and God wouldn't let them. So here we are. I'm here still. And I'm happy. I'm not worried about some dude hijacking. I'm like, go for it. You want to use this? We need you to be bigger than me so we can get the job done. And until we live in that place and stay in that place, doesn't mean you don't have moments of insecurity, but guys, we've got to release some people in this season. Otherwise, we're not going to walk in what God has. Don't dominate those who do better than you. Celebrate them, cheer them, and give them opportunity. God will take care of them. If they're arrogant, he'll sort them out. You don't need to. Just can I talk about biblical authority quickly? Oh, no, I'm not. Ugh. I've got a whole text here. I can give you the notes. But just let me say about biblical, some truths about biblical authority. All authority on, on the human level is delegated authority. Okay, so this authority we carry, where Paul writes, or in Titus, where it says, uh, um, Titus Chapter 2, and it says this, let me read, it says, In everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. 
And then he says in verse 15, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Talking to an elder in this sort. So all authority on the human level is delegated authority. Okay, it's not yours. It's delegated from him. All authority is vested in a plurality of elders in a local church. It's not the one dude who's the guru and everyone else wants to be the guru. I'm stating obvious, but I've watched patterns come where only the lead guy carries authority and everyone else is a wannabe until they can be a lead guy. It's a plurality of elders who carry authority. It's for the protection of the sheep and the elders. Now, Debs, I'm trying. Remember that? And whenever the New Testament refers to the elders as a particular local church, it's always with plurality. I think a plurality of elders over a single local church is God's way of protecting the church against the abuses of authority and may easily happen if single man runs the church. The elders must submit to the Lord and be accountable to one another and to the church. The Lord delegates that authority to a plurality of people in each local church so that no one can play God. Yeah, great truth. I'm the leader. No, no. We have plurality of governance and authority to protect the sheep and protect us. It's God's way, friends. All authority is designed for everyone's blessing and protection. You know, people say to me, you know, I don't need to be an elder in this church for me to be an elder. I send me, I'll just, and I love that heart because it's a good heart. If you're looking for a position, you probably shouldn't be an elder. But what I've read out scripturally is that you need to be an elder for the people's sake, not for yours. We must ordain elders, not for the elder, for the sheep to know who the elders are, who have been given the authority by God. It's not, hey, we need to release this guy, otherwise we're going to lose him. No, we need to ordain you so the people know who God's given authority to lead them. Ordination is not for the elders, it's for the sheep to know who their chosen elders are. So I love this thing, I don't need to be an elder. Yeah, you don't, but the people need you to be an elder and ordained and recognized so they can live in the authority of God and understand who carries that God-given authority. Does that make sense? We've got to release some people rather than have this vague, they the elders, they float around, they might be here, they're potential, and somewhere put them in place. For the sheep, not for you, not for your team, not for them, for the people. Authority does not imply superiority. Authority implies responsibility and accountability. We often see authority as a privilege, but not a serious responsibility. Authority is about character and primary and position secondary. Too often this gets reversed. A leader with respect has authority. Authority is exercised in the local church through teaching and correcting with God's word. So hopefully we come back to understand the authority God's given us. Walk in it. Don't be apologetic of it, but don't abuse it. No better than anyone else. Just function in what God's called you to do for them. And if we equal authority, if we understand that, we can stay the course, finish the race, and complete the task. Thirdly, minister to people. Just kind of rush through these. Stating the obvious, but prioritize investing in people rather than programs. And we had a season through the COVID where we had to do that. But I'm watching as people begin to gather again. It's back to programs. It's back to ministries rather than the people. 
Our priority should always be pouring into people. Always. If you are building for the next generation and effectively. We need to connect with the right people. My dad says to me always, don't give 90% of your time to those who give 10% of their time. Invest in people who want to be invested. And even if they're not people you would like to, they're the people that you've got. Stop phoning around and say, I need your pastor. Hey, would you come to my church? Would you join, leave that church? Just build with what you have. How about being faithful with what you have and then see God add? But if you're going to add the expense of what you've got, good luck. God's not going to give you more. You know, shepherding, Psalm 78, 72, says, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands he led them. I believe eldering, shepherding, is actually a heart thing. It's more about integrity than the stuff you do. Integrity of heart means I do this regardless of what I get back from it. Now think about that, guys. You guys know. If I go to this rich person and I love them differently in the church, then they're going to keep giving so we can keep on getting a salary. Or That's no integrity. You should go to someone who's got nothing and love them as much as the other. And to be honest, you should ask yourself from time to time, why am I doing this for them? Do I want something or is it just my call? That's integrity. God says, I can trust you with more. That's effective ministry. Number four, mobilize people with mission. Communicate a divine, compelling vision worth following. Can I suggest even worth dying for? Well, Tyron, we 10 people in our church. It doesn't matter. Same mission. Now, I'm going to step on some of our toes this morning in, in this moment, just because I have to and say this. I've watched without... Every time we begin to people please, we begin to forfeit the mission first. And none of us are people pleasers. I don't believe that. Certainly in ministry, it's hard to go into ministry and be a people pleaser. But we become it the longer that we're in this. And through COVID, we're so desperate to get people back that we began to stop talking mission to get them back. And we've said, well, when one day we get back to people being together, we'll get back to mission. I'm going to tell you this. You're compromising the very reason you exist. And those people are going to come back maybe, but you're going to keep pleasing them. And when you get back to pleasing him, you're going to lose them. Every time people pleasing kicks in, the first thing that comes is we compromise mission. We silence our mission. Listen, I... I, (laughs) I've been told, and I, and I listen, people don't turn, you're so offensive when you come into our church and talk about mission, when people are trying to just survive the lives right now, and people have lost people in the mission, and I'm like, yeah, I, I have too. But God doesn't say, hey, like, get everybody settled and ready, and then we'll get back to the reason I created you, the reason the church exists. He's like, get on with the mission through all seasons, and if you want people to get off their couch and come back to the church, Rather than tell them they need to come back to the church, tell them about the mission you called to. They will get off that couch and come running to the church. They don't want to hear about they need to come here, you preach. They want to hear about we're on a mission. Let's get on with the mission. Now, I know this is hard, but it's, I listen and don't talk about mission. And when I do, people get offended. Mission is why we exist. 
And you begin to please people. And you know when you stop talking mission, you actually become compromising. And you actually don't like who you become. Because you're no longer who you're called to be. And it's harder to hear the voice of God when you're compromising and pleasing people because you're too busy listening to everyone else rather than listening to Him. And can I just say, real leaders end up leaving the church. Real leaders. Why? Because they know you're a compromiser, you're a man pleaser. And just so you know, no one, everyone's ever happy anyway. Just No one's ever happy anyway. That's the big solution here. Please Him. And mission. I mean, think about that, guys. This is not just a general say. Think every time you begin to please, what goes first? Mission. The cost people must pay. I've said, we, I've started preaching this thing. We need more battleships than cruise ships. The church needs to shift from being cruise ship to battleship. Let me ask you honestly, are you a cruise ship or are you a battleship? Not what do you want to be. What are you? You probably, majority would say, actually, by honesty, we become a cruise ship. What do the people want? What's going to keep them coming rather than what has God called us? Battleship. How about some battleships in the season? That's where God has us. You're on a mission. And the only thing you're required to do on a battleship is, I mean, a cruise ship is breathe because everyone does everything else for you. But on a mission, cruise ship, battleship, Everything on that battleship exists for the people who are not on the battleship. But on a cruise ship, everything on that ship exists for keeping the people on the ship happy. Not, what do you want to be? What are you? Mission. Communicate a divide. You know, I love this nation for many reasons. There's a lot of things that are not helpful. I get that. But you know what I love about Americans? You've got this attitude, we can do anything. We are the world. And people say it's arrogant. I love it. Why? Because we are the world. America, you know, we, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we are that. We've done that. Oh, we can do it. Give me more of those people. But somehow we think in the church, they like want to be toned down and just be told how awesome. No, no, people want to die for something bigger than themselves. And we like kind of presenting this little vision. I go to vision Sundays and I think, okay, this is it. I'm going to give me a vision that's worth dying for. And I show up and I leave depressed, going, my job is to come serve the elders in that church. Is that what vision is all about? That's not what they want to communicate. That's what's being communicated. And, and then when we talk, can I be honest? I have been honest, and I have to learn this. But, but many of us will say, gee, you know, we have this. I, I was recently, I listened to this man unpack the Great Commission where I was ready to run through walls again. I was like, because that's like, oh, yes, yeah. And then they got up and said this. And now I know not all of you can serve like us and preach the gospel, but just come and sit up and tear down. We need help on Sundays to put up chairs. And, and I was like, ugh. Ugh. Let me vomit. You've presented the Great Commission, and our response is to come set up on Sundays so we can have a meeting. Separate them. Preach the gospel, preach the Great Commission, and mobilize. But then... Tell us afterwards, hey, we need help setting up. But don't tell me that's my job in the Great Commission because then I've been taught that your, your job is more important my job is just to make you look good. And you wonder why people won't show up. It's because you're making them buy into the church rather than buy into the Great Commission. I mean that, friends. I, we had this multi-bank owner, multi-multi-millionaire in Australia in the church I led. This guy, I mean, he was just one of those shaker and mover guys. He bought into what we're doing. He got the global thing, and he, he would show up, take off work, 
And when we hosted stuff, he would be the guy serving and cooking and serving food. And, and one day I realized, what are you doing here? Don't you like, and he's like, yeah, I want to be part of this. I, no one asked him, hey, serve us because we're the great guys doing the global thing. Your job is, he bought into the global thing and thought, gee, these guys need help. Let me help you. But when we got to tell them, this is how you serve, is you set up and we'll go do the real thing. Don't think anyone is going to buy into that anymore. It's over. Of course there are needs. I get it. But how about telling people, hey, by the way, there's some needs. Not this is your way of serving. We need some help to set up, please. But other than that, let's all get involved in the Great Commission. Big picture. Watch the right people. Watch the resources of, of heaven be released again. Watch people buy in. Watch leaders come through. Watch, because it's big picture, not I'm serving you. Is that all right? I'm not being strong here, but I think we listen, we preach, we undermine what we're saying by the way we respond. Come help me set up. We need more musicians. We, no, no, you don't need. You buy into what God's called us to. And by the way, help us in this local church. Own it with us. Not own the mission of the Great Commission by setting up a chair. Would you? Yeah. I'm just telling you, I'm not a leader in the church anymore. I'm there. I don't want to set up a chair when I'm being told that's the Great Commission. I'm like, I don't know if I want to serve Jesus after hearing that, to be honest. I walk away going, they were me. Why don't they set up the chairs first? Then I might follow. How about some elders set up a chair? Just, yeah, anyway. Okay, that's. Sorry, I'm just having a dig at you all here. But All right, mobilize with mission. We've got to go eat some tacos. I'm not going to keep those waiting, Jody. Not a chance. Not here. Quickly, let me give you multiply by releasing others to help God's full vision. Friends, multiply, release. It's effective ministry. Honestly, are you releasing? Not we praying for release, we training. Are you releasing? Can I also just say have mutual and meaningful accountability? Mutual and meaningful. There's a double M in there. Mutual. Not I want my leaders to be accountable to me. No, I'm going to mutually be accountable to them. And the people that are accountable to me, I'm going to be accountable to because it's mutual and meaningful. Meaning I don't have all these things in place and I'm dodging them. I choose. One guy who fell morally in Denver, Colorado, one of the biggest churches in America, had seven boards in place of accountability. Seven boards. The boards were lots of people. Accountable to seven boards. And he still ended up sleeping with another man. Having an affair with a dude. Sorry, that's offensive, but that's what happened. And he's one guy who now came and visited our church one Sunday. And I was like, gee, how's that church going? Famous church. Everyone would know it. I said, how are you guys doing? He said, we're working through it. And he told me this guy who fell had seven boards he was accountable to. And he's still able to do whatever he wanted. Why is that? Boards don't matter if your heart is not to meaningfully be accountable. You can dodge any system. It's not for them. It's for you. Let people ask you and challenge you as much as you challenge them. If you're not allowing others to challenge you, stop challenging them. You don't have the right to. Maintain, number seven, maintain unity through practice of Matthew chapter 18. Gosh, if we live this out in the leadership forum, can you imagine how fruitful the church could be? If your brother sins against you, you go to your brother. And what do you do? You work it out with your brother. 
Imagine a leadership team just doing that, how effective the church could be. But it's, again, we tell the people to do that, but we don't. We use the people to tell others about what elders have done or what leaders are. And we wonder why the church can't be blessed where God commands blessing, where there's unity. He taught us on how to deal with issues. Maintain and practice unity through Matthew 18. Don't pray for unity. Live it out. Dwell together through Matthew 18. Number eight, motivate people by affirming those who bear fruit and redeeming those who fail. (sighs) Affirm those who bear fruit. Fruitful people, tell them, well done. Not to their side on the side, publicly. I mean, encourage. Well done, Darren. That was great. Well done, dude. That was awesome. If it wasn't awesome, don't lie. People know you're fake, but find something good to say. But if someone did well, how about telling them? Imagine that. Would you like to be told? I don't need to be told, but you'd like it. So affirm those who are doing well if you're going to be effective. But on the other side, redeem those who've struggled or failed. We just write them off. Literally, I mean, we're like, no, no future for them. And then I'll come around and say, what about this? Oh, no, he blew it. Yeah, and? Well, he blew it. And what's your job to f- restore? Yeah, but he, he hurt me. Yeah, get over you. We, we all get hurt. Are you with me? What about the redeeming of those who failed? You know, one of these guys fell morally in, America, uh, in, uh, in New York. And you would know the guy, and it's just tragic. I, I know some Christians celebrated because look at cele- celebrity Christians and all this throwing rocks at each other. My heart broke when I heard about this guy who fell morally, another one. I, I broke, and, I was, and then I read an article of an atheist who went to defend that pastor. And he wrote an article, and it said this, Christianity is the only group of people that bury their wounded. Guilty. 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 Oh, sorry, Lord. Okay, what are we going to do about it? We're going to redeem those who fail. If they want redemption, God forbid us for burying them if they're broken. We need to bring them to restoration. There are people in your church. God's bringing them. He's going to try again. Can I boldly say that? He's going to try again with you. He's going to allow and bring some broken, hurt, offended, and maybe burnt out. Maybe they had affairs. Maybe they've left their spouse. I don't know. And all that's tragic. But they still are valuable. Maybe their positions are shifted and maybe what they can function in has different. But they are equally valuable pre than whatever happened to now. And we best become more like Jesus. And redeem those people. And bring them to a celebration of they are equal. And they are awesome. And we all can jack it up, but we can come back to realize, let's get back to redeeming and affirming even those who've messed up, even who've hurt us. 
And honestly, it's easy to say this, easy to amen, very hard to live, especially when it's personal. I'm just going to tell you, there's people who've really hurt me, like really hurt me, like split us and spread rumors and took people and took money and took everything. I'm just telling you. And then they messed it all up because they went in division and so division. And then when they hit the wall, who did they call? Us. Me, remember me? I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to come back. No. Find someone else. And the heart of the Father is, don't give them what they had, but love them through it. Yeah, all right. We'll work it out. I mean, friends, these are people, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't even know if they were saved the way they reacted. I want to be affected. It's not my thing. It's his. I don't want to bury any more wounded. I'm sick of burying wounded in our ranks. I'm sick of the church burying wounded. I want to redeem. That means we need to affirm those who bear fruit and redeem those who fail. That's effective ministry. I feel like God says, well, then I can trust you with more. And you know what he does? He doesn't just send you broken people. He sends you fighting who will fight with you. Because it's all. We've got people now signing up to partner with NCMI who are strong. Like it used to be, we pick up all these people who are struggling. And that's great. But now we've got guys that say, hey, we're strong. We don't need anything. We want to help. I'm like, really? Well, what do you mean? They're like, hey, we've got money. We've got resources building. Let's get, we're with you. I'm like, whoa, I don't even know how to respond to that. You mean you, you don't want anything? No, no, we're here. God's linked us. And I'm like, God does that when you redeem, he, redeem broken. He says, okay, here's some strong people who can help you in the redeem. I just remember, Cindy, I don't know if you remember that. Just, we have to eat. Sorry. Okay. I promise. This is it. Remember the prophetic word when we went through some pretty interesting times? And I think you had, I think it was you. I'll give you the credit for that word. But about the, uh, the, 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 the ship, the war ship and these rescue boats all went out and why are you laughing at me? <laughs> you don't remember this? She, you're not tracking. I'm just making it up as we go. I have a prophetic word. She is tracking. Anyway, somebody, and I'm pretty sure it was Cindy, but I'll take the credit then. And so, but it was the ship and, and like before some of the big split we had, and it happens guys. And was that we were on this warship, this big cruise uh, battleship. Others got on their little rescue boats and went out to go and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. They went ahead, and, they, and then we kept going, and then they all, uh, some of them, started drowning. Mm-hmm. And we came past and picked them back up on the ship. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't like that one. <laughs> That's not where we're at. I'm like, you leave us, see you later. See you in heaven if you get there, but... <laughs> But actually, you know what? Seriously? 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 That's a man thing. God thing is you help. Help, help, help. Great, Tyron. You do that for NCMI. You do that for your church. Mm -mm. Yes, us. 